I think you have some very definite ideas about what should be done with Danny, and I'd like to know what they are. Uh, uh, well, I, I think maybe he should be taken to a doctor. You think maybe he should be taken to a doctor? When do you think maybe he should be taken to a doctor? As soon as possible. As soon as possible. You believe his health might be at stake? Yes. You are concerned about him. Are you concerned about me? Of course I am. Of course you are. Have you ever thought about my responsibilities? Oh, Dick, what are you talking about? Have you ever had a single moment's thought about my responsibilities? Have you ever thought for a single solitary moment about my responsibilities to my employers? Has it ever occurred to you that I have agreed to look after the Overlook Hotel until May the 1st? Does it matter to you at all that the owners have placed their complete confidence and trust in me and that I have signed a letter of agreement, a contract, in which I have accepted that responsibility? You have the slightest idea what a moral and ethical principle is, do you? Has it ever occurred to you what would happen to my future if I were to fail to live up to my responsibilities? Has it ever occurred to you? Has it? Stay away from me. Why? I just want to go back to my room. Why? Well, I'm very confused. I just need a chance to think things over. You've had your whole fucking life to think things over. What good's a few minutes more going to do you now? Stay away from me. Please. Don't hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. Wendy? Stay away! Darling, light of my life. I'm not gonna hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains in. I'm gonna bash them right the fuck in. Oh, you wanna play Psycho Killer? Can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. I am the eater of wolves and of children. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Red rum, red rum, red rum, Whoa! red rum, red rum, red rum, red rum, red rum, stop it, red rum, red rum. Red rum. Hello, everyone, and welcome to one last haunted installment of the greatest October in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 163, The Shining. We finally get to it. I think we're going to try to 
have this not be a two-hour fillet session. But, I, I mean, <laughs> goes without saying, one of the greatest movies of all time. Certainly one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, this is a doozy. As Matt mentioned, we're going to try to keep ourselves somewhat under control. I mean, we might go past two hours, but we're not going to get too insane, hopefully. All of a sudden, it says, like, part one on the feed. (laughs) Well, I think it's important to understand how we're going to approach this episode, which is primarily our takeaways from this movie. I think you can go down an infinite amount of rabbit holes. People have studied every Kubrick movie to death, especially this one. There's so many theories so many ideas, tons and tons of stuff. And we'll touch on that stuff a little bit, but we're mostly going to do our usual shtick and then our opinions and takeaways and so not worry so much about that. Yeah, we don't really care about all the opinions. <laughs> no, and we, I, I mean, that stuff is fun and, is, and everything, yeah. but I think this could easily turn into a four or five hour event. I mean, there's so much out right. there and on we, Kubrick and The Shining and everything. Yeah, and we said it like, you know, we're not going to get into all the Room 237 documentary stuff where there's all these ridiculous theories and i'll go on record to say that that movie i found incredibly disappointing that documentary i thought that there was going to be like way more digging into like the surface stuff of the the movie and what's going on and it's all this stuff about windows and rooms that don't make sense and like what does that mean it <laughs> yeah wasn't I, for me. I do think that part of it is like get a load of these people and yeah, <laughs> it's somewhat interesting as an experiment to see like all the different ways that people can process movies and how people can interpret things differently but ultimately most of that stuff is garbage i think it's yeah. silly and we'll, we'll touch on that more sure so the shining directed by stanley kubrick written by kubrick with diane johnson who is just a novelist really and never really did any other screenplays that okay. i'm aware of wow kind of a weird thing i was trying to find out more as to how she got involved with this i don't I don't really know. I didn't really see it. Any idea what number episode this is where Stephen King's source material has been used for? It's less than you would think. Okay. Because I went back through. Less than five? Yeah. I went back through and I thought there was going to be more. All right. And I was a little bit surprised. Wow. I mean, there was. Not noteworthy then. It. Which is a two-parter. Pet Cemetery and Stand By Me. And I think that might be it. Okay. Unless you can think of another one. Uh, No, I don't think so. (laughs) So this is based on Stephen King's 1977 novel. The budget was $19 million. It made 44.4 at the North American box office in 1980. Before we jump into it, let's remind our listeners, follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, etc. We'd love to thank everyone for supporting us through this greatest october yes. it was a fun time we hope you've enjoyed the month i certainly have a lot of work a lot of effort went into this that's right yeah already you know mapping things out for next year sure yes but as we've mentioned in the last couple of episodes it's time to take a little bit of a breather so don't expect a new episode for a few weeks we should be back though before the end of november that's right We'll try to come up with some Thanksgiving-themed episodes we can do. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) So that's basically where we're at with the pod, taking a little break after this big month. I think we can kind of jump into it. well-deserved, I would say. Sure, yeah, especially for me. Yeah, that's what I meant. (laughs) So after the lack of commercial success for Barry Lyndon, Kubrick's 1975 film. What are your thoughts on that, by the way, Barry Lyndon? It's not a commercial movie. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> gotcha. It's very it's, long. It is one of those ones that I always think about grabbing the Criterion. I still haven't yet. Yeah. Okay. It looks incredible. It's entertaining, but it's very long. It's not a movie that's really going to please the masses. Sure. But he realized that in order to find a project that was both artistically satisfying but also had commercial appeal, he was going to have to dig a little bit deeper into areas that he had yet to explore. So he had his staff bring him stacks of horror books as he planted himself in his office to read them all. Quote, Kubrick's secretary heard the sound of each book hitting the wall as the director flung wow. each one into a reject pile after reading the first few pages. It's like me trying to read. Finally, one day, the secretary noticed it had been a while since she had heard the thud of another writer's book work biting the dust. She walked in to check on her boss and found Kubrick deeply engrossed in reading The Shining. That's from Vincent Lebrodo's book, Stanley Kubrick, A Biography. That's kind of a famous story that goes along with this movie now he found Stephen King's work I mean Stephen King at that point had put out a few novels and was a bestseller yeah that was probably around the time that Carrie had come out okay I'm just trying to think as to when Kubrick would have gotten involved with getting the rights to this I don't know but he picked this one up and and took it to the next level and I think it was in a lot of ways, it's Kubrick's most accessible movie to yeah. a more wide stream audience. It's my favorite Kubrick movie, actually. And I, I do love 2001 A Space Odyssey as well. But the, the Shining for me is any time of the year, can put this on, uh, love everything about it. it. It will forever be one of my favorite movies. And, and it's my favorite work of his. Yeah, I think it, it probably is mine as well. Although I do know that like you're more nerdy Kubrick heads and, yeah. and film dorks probably see it as like a lesser one because it's like more pop and it's a horror movie sure. which people always look down on but Boo. yeah I think that when an artist can find a way to fully express themselves in a way that is also appealing to the mainstream that it often leads to some of their best material because I think it's important to at least acknowledge that you have yeah. an audience and not just masturbate for your own pleasure sure. with well, your art you know yeah. what i mean like there has to be some appeal i think when you're working in film as a medium sure this is something that speaks to me this overall vibe i, I mean i was reading about it that kubrick screened eraserhead the david lynch movie for i don't know if it was for just the cast or the crew or people involved in the making of the movie uh, which is weird because I, I don't even think in my mind I was realizing that Eraserhead was out at the time when they were making this. Uh, yeah, I think Eraserhead was 77. Obviously, we've talked a lot about how we like David Lynch, and I think there is some crossover appeal in what's going on in this movie with just sort of the unsettling scenes. It's not that straight, in-your-face pop-up horror, but more just like disturbing, strange, bizarre sequences. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the cast. Jack Nicholson is our lead actor playing Jack Torrance. Shelley Duvall plays his wife, Wendy. Danny Lloyd plays Danny. I think all three are perfect for the roles that they're playing in this. I, I, yeah, it's interesting. King was not particularly thrilled with the casting. And we're going to talk about King's reaction to the movie more yeah. as we go. But He wanted Steven Weber. Well, yeah, Stephen Weber eventually played the part in the miniseries from 97 that King was more directly involved with. But no, he was he wanted like John Voight. He wanted a more everyman 
because he felt that by casting Nicholson, yeah. the audience knew right away where yeah, it was he's headed. he's kind of menacing right away. That there was no transition. And I think the way that Kubrick and Johnson wrote the script and the way they lay it out, they were wanting the character of Jack to be on the verge at all times. And sure. it's almost like this experience just is like a little push right. over the edge. Whereas I think King saw it more as... Jack is a regular man struggling with problems. He's not on the verge of being completely psychotic. And so they differed a little bit in that how that journey was going to play out. Yeah, you feel like the Jack Torrance character in this movie is a little on edge at times. <laughs> yeah, before it even starts, yeah. you can sense that there's a lot of problems. Things were building up. Yeah, although it's weird. I think ultimately it comes down to King just not digging a lot of the changes that were made. Sure. Because... I do think there's uh, enough wagon instead of the red. I do think there's enough similarities that it's really not that much different. Like if you compare how much they changed to the new Pet Cemetery reboot from this year, I feel like that changes way more than oh, the yeah. Shining changes from the book. Now, there are some major things that are different, and I do think that King always wants heart at the end of his stuff, and he's very concerned with a satisfying conclusion and this movie does not really deliver that in the same way and so it's left more cold than the novel is yeah well that might be the kubrick touch a little bit yeah and i i see where they differed in some opinions i just think like at this point king publicly stated his opinion so many times that he's not going to go back on it I mean, it just it doesn't really it's make hard. any sense. He signs off on some really terrible adaptations. <laughs> right. And this one, I see where the differences are, and I see why they are things that King thinks are a big deal. But, I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> Kubrick, of course, liked to film on sets. We talked about that in the Eyes Wide Shut episode, where <laughs> the city streets had that odd quality to oh, them, that's right, yeah. which actually kind of added a weird feeling yeah, yeah. to the movie. Most of The Shining was filmed on sets, including some of the outdoor stuff, which looks really weird. Sure. Unbelievable set building, though, you have to say. Yeah. I mean, for the interior hotel shots of him riding around oh, the yeah, tricycle. Oh, Just like these giant halls with big staircases. Yeah. And that was modeled, I think, after a hotel in California, even though this takes place in Colorado. But that opening is all shot at St. Mary Lake and Wild Goose Island and Glacier oh, yeah. National Park in Montana, which it's just an unbelievable amount of footage. that was, yeah. It just looks incredible. This opening shot is so beautiful and sprawling, but it's also like dark and menacing because you have that, what I know as the shining theme, although it, it feels like when you watch the movie, this song's not actually used that many times in it. Right. But that song is awesome. The shot is incredible. I love whenever I stick my Blu-ray in for this, no menu screen. It just goes straight into this. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I love it. Outtakes of those panorama shots were used in the original cut of Blade Runner. Wow, how about end. that? Not in the final cut? No, not in those later cuts that Dang. end more abruptly. In that terrible narrated ending. Gotcha, yeah. The exterior shots of the Overlook Hotel were actually of a place called Timberline Lodge in Oregon. We'll... Yeah. Swing back around to that later. There's a lot of weird discrepancies with the exterior shots that a, I find odd. A huge sort of screw up in my life because I was very close to this region where this hotel was kind of with not a lot going on. And, you know, we were doing things for 
vacation and it, it just wasn't even on my radar that this hotel was so close to where I was until a couple months after I was there because I I don't know I just always for some reason I thought the the hotel that this was filmed at or like you know the exteriors was in Colorado <laughs> because it's set in Colorado yeah, yeah. I, I don't know yeah I, just a huge miss by me though not to go check this out while I was in the area yeah it's a, it's definitely an amalgam of a bunch of things because they used an exterior of a hotel in Oregon. They did all of those establishing drive shots in Montana. They based the look of the hotel and the interior of the hotel off of a place in California, and yet it's all set in Colorado. Yeah, right. <laughs> One of the things that is inevitable that you talk about with The Shining is the insane filming, which Kubrick was known for for all of his movies, just endless, endless amounts of takes. They might do a 20 second shot and spend like three days oh, yeah. of like 12 hour days on that and people just would lose their minds and it was particularly difficult for Shelley Duvall right they seem to have a very difficult working relationship it's kind of incredible to think about how different times were back in the day everybody very up in arms about how directors might treat actresses now oh yeah but I mean this Kubrick fly at this point Hitchcock Right. bunch of these people, I mean, it was just torture. <laughs> and yet, I think later in life, Shelley Duvall said that she appreciated the time on The Shining and later realized that it was all to get a certain performance sure. out of her. But that's like that I seems think, no longer justifiable now. I guess not. <laughs> it is effective in this movie. I mean, all of the our three like main characters, but particularly her, where you can see the stress and the anxiety. Yes. In the performance. I used from to what really gone through. I used to be down on her performance and I've grown to well, appreciate it more. She kind of seems like not a great actress. She, it feels like she's not. I, yeah, I don't know. I think that she is. It's just I think Kubrick was like looking for something a certain way of acting and reacting, yeah. which is so different than the Wendy in the novel too, which is another thing that King got hung up on. He just did not recognize this performance as what he thought wendy was well isn't this wendy like a little bit more weak and yeah kind of just bends to whatever and put upon yeah 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 but i think that that works though because in the end she wins like her maternal instincts she comes out the hero she protects danny and she looks pathetic and sounds pathetic yet comes out of this alive when really the odds are kind of against her especially when it turns out that Jack has like the help of some ghosts oh, yeah. and stuff. Right. <laughs> it's really set up for her to lose and be murdered, and yet she still somehow escapes it all. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think Nicholson ended up having a pretty decent relationship with Kubrick. I know Scatman Carruthers couldn't believe it. <laughs> And he, oh, yeah. the next movie he worked on was a Clint Eastwood movie, and oh wow, you know they were rapping on the day at like three p.m. They're like, let's get out of here. Like Eastwood, it's like one take, and he was evidently like in tears of happiness. He just couldn't believe how easy it was to make a movie after this experience. <laughs> yeah. But Kubrick did protect Danny Lloyd, though. It wouldn't be until like over a decade later that the actor that plays Danny would even know that this was a horror movie. He had, had no idea. Oh wow. You know, they just do things in a certain way, so he's does he's not really aware of what's happening in scenes. I and, guess, yeah, that seems nuts. It feels like they would have been asking him to do some strange things. Well, yeah, they probably were, but you can usually manipulate a child's oh, emotions no. so yeah. that they don't really know what's going on. And so 
you know, he didn't really think this was anything scary or anything. He right. never really saw anything. Before we jump into our thoughts about what the movie is about, let's talk about the initial ending, the hospital scene that wasn't a part of the movie when it was first released into theaters and has been cut out and I don't think has ever been released since. Wait, this scene was in it when it was yeah, did, when it did it initially was in theaters run? and then oh. the actual projectionists cut it out and mailed it back to Warner Brothers oh, wow. per their request. There's a scene in a hospital where Ullman tells Wendy that they never found Jack's body. Oh, wow. And then he hands a tennis ball to Danny. <laughs> and they took it out, and I think rightfully so, because yeah. it's a little too cutesy of an ending where you're like, okay. Because then it becomes like, well, he literally became a part the of the hotel. The yeah. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a little too hokey, I think, for a Kubrick movie. And I, I think it was the right call. But I, I know that there are fans that always want this to be released on the different versions of home video. And I don't think it ever has. I have the new 4K thing, and I don't think it's on there either. Not even as like a deleted scene or an outtake? No, I don't think so. Wow. That is crazy. I didn't realize that, though. That it had a whole run with this whole other ending. Well, it was one of those things where it was only released into a couple theaters. And okay. then... But even then, like, right up to the last minute, like, Kubrick yeah. was like, no, we got to change this. Yes. Assuming it was his call at that point. I don't know. Maybe it was before the picture of Jack in the July 4th ball. I don't know if it was the literal last scene or if it was before that and they came back. But the way that it ends now with the July 4th picture is perfect. So if the hospital thing came after that, which seems unlikely, then that probably would have been clunky. The Shining is definitely one of the most perfectly shot and framed movies. Everything looks gorgeous. It looks like a painting. You could take the cells from it and hang them on your wall sure, as a poster. Yeah. Cinematographer John Alcott. We usually don't mention the cinematographers that much on this podcast, but I feel like we should Even call though, them out. Yeah, here. we are constantly calling out the good looks of certain films. I guess we just aren't actually giving credit to the people responsible for it. Yeah, he worked with Kubrick a few times, I think starting with A Clockwork Orange, and he would go on to do a few movies with Kubrick. Although Kubrick wasn't that prolific later in life, so I think Alcott died before Full Metal Jacket. So I think The Shining was the last one he did with him, but he did a few with Kubrick, and he did a bunch of other movies too. But the combination of those two together on this movie is really something special. And I think why Oh yeah. it's such a revered movie by people like Paul Thomas Anderson sure. who've tried to replicate different scenes, I think, from it and stuff. And other directors too. I mean, it's such a well, and, and they, a beautiful looking right. film. And they it leads right into it. I mean, right from the very beginning, you just how much coverage is being shot, just the the scope of the world that you're seeing, it, it just feels like a massive look. The Shining received mixed reviews, though, when it first came out and was not super well received. It was, I think, the only film of Kubrick's last nine, his like second half of his career, that got nominated for nothing at the Oscars. Oh, wow. In fact, he was nominated for a Razzie for Worst Director. No way. Yeah, and Duvall was also nominated for Worst Actress. However, the reappraisal started pretty quick. I mean, within the 80s, it had already started to turn the other direction. And it's funny because a lot of the critics that lived long enough to get into the 90s and the 2000s and were they stuff... Like, we got that one wrong? I don't even know if they admitted it. It just that all of a sudden they were including it in best of lists and all this stuff, and yet they had given it bad reviews at the time. I don't know. People just didn't respond to it. 
at first, which seems strange. I don't really know why. Yeah, it, it feels like it would be an impactful movie to see. It certainly was the first time I saw it in my life. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess it depends on what you're thinking going into it. If you're expecting like a lot of actual scares, well, that's true. It's not that scary of a movie. I mean, maybe to a kid, there are definitely parts that are scary, but it's more of like a psychological movie. It's, yeah, it counts as a horror movie for sure. But I don't know. It's definitely a lot of drama and psychological thriller mixed into it. Sure, I it mean, doesn't rely a lot on like straight up horror stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some some chilling stuff going on with the ghost characters. It's certainly, like, I mean, we'll get to it, but I mean, the first scene in the in the bar. The second scene in the bar that's populated with, like, all the ballroom characters. Right. I mean, the first time I saw those, they certainly left me feeling a little bit chilled. Yeah, it's it's definitely unnerving. It's more about, I guess, the uneasy feeling yeah. of watching somebody descend into madness. Because, I don't know, I guess you never really feel like the ghosts are going to really do anything. Even though they do, I guess, attack Danny at one point off camera. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I mean, that's kind of vague. So Stephen King's take, infamously not a fan, reiterated that in the foreword of Dr. Sleep, which is not that old of a book. Wow. He doubled down on it even at that point. Yeah. I mean, a few times he's kind of gone back on it. It, I mean, when you're talking about an opinion now that's like basically 40 years old, sometimes it seems to switch around or like the reasoning for it is a little different. I, like I said, I think it just comes down to there were some things about the novel that were changed that King didn't like because I think this novel was very autobiographical for him. Sure, you think like the Jack character might be a little bit yeah, like, it is close him. to him. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I mean he had his alcoholism and drug problems right. during this time period. So I'm sure for him, it's like he wants to see some redeeming qualities to this character when really in this movie, the Jack Torrance character doesn't have much. Yeah, and for those of you who have not read the novel, the the story basically ends with Jack kind of redeeming himself by yeah. saving Wendy and Danny before the hotel explodes. Right. Doesn't he like blow it up? Uh, yeah, there's like a faulty boiler okay. th- that's yeah. like a big element of the book that's not really in the movie at all and <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I get it. If you are the Jack character and you see this version right. of it, it's not that appealing. That's true, although maybe Stanley Kubrick was shining some light on how the Jack character really is, and Stephen King was having a hard time accepting that. I've never seen the 97 miniseries starring Stephen Weber and Rebecca De Mornay. Evidently, it's not that bad. I mean, it did win some Emmys and wow. stuff, and I think it got reasonably good reviews. King okay. likes that version more. I feel like I watched parts of it before, but it's hard for me to remember. I definitely did watch some of it on TV when it aired, but that was obviously quite a while ago yeah. at this point. And they filmed it at the actual hotel in Colorado that it's based on, which okay. was another thing King wanted. <laughs> gotcha. The other changes, though, are for the better. I mean, the hedge maze is not a part of the book. It's Oh, it's not? It's animals carved into okay. bushes. Yeah, like I in remember that because I actually Edward remember- Scissorhands. <laughs> Similarly to it, when I was younger, there was like a, a girl who was older than me and, and rode the bus, and she would explain to me parts of the book, it, <laughs> which was kind of frightening. But the, also, she read The Shining, and she was telling me, and I do remember her telling me about the shrubberies like coming to life yeah. at a certain point. That was more just a practical change. They just literally could not do that. Right. 
yeah. with this like with this budget in 1980. It w- I mean, it would have looked terrible. Sure. Yeah. And I think changing it to the hedge maze is great because it it gives you such a, a unique ending. Oh, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Before we jump into the actual plot, what is this movie about? We already touched on it a little bit. Room 237. I think both you and I are in agreement that we outright dismiss most of that stuff. <laughs> or I just don't, frankly, not into it. I don't think that Stanley Kubrick was revealing clues about faking the moon landing in The yeah. Shining. Although that one to me was one of the more plausible ones in this thing. They definitely fixated on Danny's sweaters a lot in these theories. Sure, sure. Yeah, which I do enjoy <laughs> Danny's sweaters. But yeah, I mean, there's ones where it's talking about how, like, if you played the movie backwards over top of it right right and it's just like it's supposed I, to sync up yeah like symmetrical uh because that, of a that, lot of the shots that's a movie. hard thing to pull off though i've read that too and i think that there's different cuts of the movie that supposedly can make that happen again that's just like who cares right <laughs> why would anyone ever do that that doesn't even make sense well you know when room 237 was coming out i, I was thinking it was going to be like way more theories about what's actually going on in the movie and like maybe some of this other weird stuff outside of it too but even what exactly does it mean when Jack Torrance is in the photo from the 20s or whatever? Sure. Yeah, I have some thoughts about that stuff, too. But There was, like, nothing about that. Just to, like, close the loop. Yeah. I think that the only one really worth anything at all is the discussion on the Native Americans. Now, yeah. I don't know. There's a nec- lot of evidence of that one, at least. I don't, I don't necessarily think that because they have, like, Calumet powder in the back, which had, like, a Native American logo, that that means anything, or that this is some sort of a big commentary on the plight of Native Americans in this area. Sure. I mean, maybe some of that's there in theory, but I I think it's much more simplistic than that. I mean, Ullman says that the hotel was built on an Indian burial ground. That's a reoccurring idea in a lot of Stephen King stuff, obviously. I was going to (laughs) say, or just like in horror movies in general, like not necessarily Indian burial grounds. Although, does it make any sense? They're on I, a mountain. I don't know. What are they digging right. into the mountain to bury people? I, I don't really get it. Eh, but it seems strange. <laughs> whatever. So yeah, there is definitely some connections to Native Americans. Obviously, the hotel is decorated with Native American looking items, and Wendy comments on that when they're walking through, and Ullman is saying, "Yes, these are based off of like Apache and Navajo designs yeah, yeah. and all this stuff." So I definitely think there's stuff in the movie that Absolutely. supports the idea. That's one that you can keep pulling from things that are actually in the movie and then sort of adding some of the more subtle things as further evidence to your point. But the bottom line is, I think all these crazy theories that they throw out there about this movie ultimately are taking away from it and not adding to it. Okay, They're so insistent upon Kubrick's genius that he must be hiding all these things and everything he does is so intentional. Everything means something, and it means way more than what's on the surface. And I know. I do think people do take this stuff like too far. And it strips it away from what it is, which is much more of a simple idea of a descent into madness. And it's like, well, why isn't that enough? That seems like a pretty genius way to <laughs> yeah. show it. And it ties in the supernatural stuff from the original source material. And it turns into this artistic expression that at the same time is a horror movie and can be appealing to the masses. That seems like a pretty cool trick that 99.9% of directors can't seem to do. So yeah. I don't know why you have to throw it. Like, it's not about the Holocaust. It's not about faking the moon landing. I, I don't understand where that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's stupid. I know. It, it is. It's a little fun to listen to, but some of the stuff was just so insane. 
because uh, a lot of it is stems from the fact that they changed the room number oh, right from the novel which was 217 to which 237 was at the request of the hotel though, <laughs> yeah right yeah one, the, i think it was the one in california that it's based off of i'm not sure which one it was maybe it was the one in oregon i don't know one of the two requested it and then the ironic thing is that everyone that stays there requests room 217 <laughs> and wants to stay at room 217 so because they didn't have room 237 i guess yeah, yeah. is the point but Everyone that stays there wants that room anyway, and it, it had the opposite effect of oh, right. what they, what they thought. I also feel like, uh, apart from the descent into madness, just dealing with the harsh realities of being sober and having to face all the choices that you've made without being able to drink and cloud your <laughs> Yeah, I mean, an alternate memory. title for this movie could be, What Would Happen If Zach Was Married and Had a Kid? Right. <laughs> You wouldn't even yeah. have to put us in a hotel. Oh, I know. I, just, like, I couldn't even see your family making the drive up this hill. I mean, it's just like, just drive off the edge. <laughs> the way that they set up some of these scenes is so funny, too, because you know that Wendy is just this sweet, kind, supportive woman, but she just says the perfect things to infuriate oh, yeah. someone right. who's struggling with writer's block and having this hard time and just... I get it. It's sad how much I can relate to Jack Torrance in this movie. <laughs> well, You're just I, like, shut up. You know, I, I know there's all sorts of evidence of the contrary to this, but, uh, you know, I was thinking to myself even like, I, I don't think he has writer's block. I just think like once you get to a certain age, it's just like you don't feel inspired about anything anymore. Well, that's possible. You know? Yeah, I think this is definitely like a commentary on toxic masculinity and cabin fever. Oh, sure. And just straight up psychosis and i think trying to go any deeper than that is unnecessary obviously kubrick was a genius there's probably a lot of meaning that you and i don't pick up on but that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to connect to oh i know something completely unrelated because the disneyfication of america (laughs) there's no point to that there's literally no point in doing that in this movie so what like half of a percent (laughs) Of the people that would see it, not it, even half of right, a percent would get it. It's just a message for like three people. Well, I mean, it's like, come on. It just seems like a massive undertaking. <laughs> like, why make this giant movie with that being like sort of your driving point? Yeah, I don't know. Doctor Sleep is about a week away from hitting theaters from when this will come out. I only ever read like half of that book. For some reason, I just didn't finish it. I don't really want to get into the plot too much just because it might be spoilers. I am interested to see what they do with it because it seems like they're connecting it to the movie. But Doctor Sleep as a novel was much more a sequel to the book, The Shining. I'd like to see how they're going to navigate those differences between the original movie and the original book. We'll see. In Ready Player One, they do oh, that right. thing where yeah. they uh, go into The Shining. That was actually originally supposed to be Blade Runner, but oh wow, that they, was they couldn't get the rights to Blade Runner. Oh, I thought it worked out well. I mean, for me, that was the most memorable part of that entire movie. Yeah, it's a really awesome part of that movie. Spielberg did it essentially as an homage to, to Kubrick, who he was friends with before Kubrick died. Yeah, it's definitely the best part of that movie, which is overall a pretty forgettable movie. Sure, yeah. Okay, so the central character in The Shining is Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson, an aspiring writer and recovering alcoholic who accepts a position as the off-season caretaker of the isolated historic Overlook Hotel in the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, now even me, who is constantly like, 
searching for more peace, less stress in my life, less hustle bustle. I look at this as sort of a daunting job to take on. I I would be nervous about putting myself in this position. Yeah. Because what if your son has a medical emergency? It just doesn't really seem responsible to do this with a young family. I just, this amount of solitude for, I mean, how many months is it? Five months? Jack does say five months at one point, but it's really six, which is another inconsistency. There's a lot of weird little inconsistencies in this movie, which I think help to spring these people into these theories for Room 237. I don't know if they're all intentional or if it's just oversight, but... Quite a business November, December, January, February, March, April. That's six, but he does say five at one point. Wow. I don't know. Yeah. And they actually move in on Halloween, right? It's like the end of October when they're... Well, the last day is October 30th, so yeah. yeah. They're arriving when everyone else is leaving on that day. Wintering over with Jack are his wife, Wendy, played by Shelley Duvall, and young son, Danny, played by Danny Lloyd. Danny possesses, quote, The Shining, psychic abilities that enable him to see into the hotel's horrific past. The hotel's cook, Dick Halloran, played by Scatman Crothers, also has this gift and is able to telepathically communicate with Danny. This is one of those things that they're just throwing in this supernatural thing out of nowhere, but it works so well. Like, I... I'm never, like, taken aback by this. You know what I mean? I- I'm so accepting the rules that they're presenting for Yeah, me. it's weird. It almost feels, like, superfluous, though, because you could almost buy Danny just having some sort of a connection to the hotel without there being some whole yeah, hoopla yeah. about a previously established ability. True. And the connection to Halloran makes sense in terms of getting him back involved in the plot at the end, but... Yeah, it's it almost seems like an added on thing, even though that's the name of the book and the movie. True. It's weird though. The but it novel doesn't really feel like that's what it's about. Yeah, I think the novel is is more from Danny's perspective. It's not like first person or anything, but I think it, the novel's more of Danny's story, and the movie is far more of Jack's story. The hotel had a previous winter caretaker who went insane and killed his family and himself. After a winter storm, leaves the Torrance's snowbound. Jack's sanity deteriorates due to the influence of the supernatural forces that inhabit the hotel, placing his wife and son in danger. Oh, wow. We're really getting into the plot. Well, I just wanted to do an overview in case sometimes we miss little details. So, you know, in case people haven't seen the movie, that's your basic outline. So, yeah, we've already talked about it a lot. The opening of the movie, just this lonesome, haunted, breathtaking trip that goes on forever up the side of a mountain in a a Volkswagen bug. Ears popping like crazy. Looks awesome. This is where we see our initial opening shot of the hotel, and there's no hedge maze to be seen, which is a recurring thing throughout the movie and maybe one of the more baffling choices. Yeah, I guess they're just relying on the fact that you know that it's there. (laughs) I don't know. This really has never bothered me in the way that it's bothering you. It doesn't bother me. It's just, it's odd. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm giving Kubrick too much credit, but... You think it's intentional? No, I don't know. It just, it's a, it's such a strange thing that the faraway shots of the hotel, you don't see it. And so, because it wasn't there, because yeah, they were right. using the Timberline in Oregon, which doesn't have the hedge maze. So, I don't know. You'd think that they could have built a set for those shots, but I don't know. Yeah, Whatever. That's a good point. It starts with the interview, which never really feels like that much of an interview. It just feels like they're willing well, to give like Jack this the job. job man. I mean, I can't imagine that people are, like, knocking the door down to do this. 
it does seem like a thing for people that have not a lot of options, which right. I think is better established in the book. He was a teacher in the book, like he is. Was there in, an incident? Yeah. Okay. And they basically had to leave. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I was thinking about this too, because like, when she's explaining them moving from like Vermont to Colorado. Yeah. During the time we live in now, you can kind of move around the country, like things feel a lot closer. There's still a lot of contact. At this point in time, I feel like if you left town, you were basically like in the witness protection program. <laughs> like you were just never going to see the people that you knew again. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like they're running from something a little bit, trying to escape the past, which has sort of a daunting, haunted feel to it that overhangs everything. Sure. In 2019, would we see a leading man? with Jack Nicholson's hairline. I don't think so. It's just pretty wild. Right, but it does go back to the thing that we seem to always talk about now of movies being filmed in the 70s and 80s compared to now where actors more looked like normal people. Yeah, it was just better because you wouldn't see a leading lady with Shelley Duvall's grill, that's for Uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Her giant teeth. Right. Which makes her look interesting and you don't get tired of it. I think everybody looking exactly the same has kind of made movies uniform and thus not as visually stimulating. Yeah, I would agree. So Mr. Omen's kind of giving Jack the basics. Meanwhile, Wendy and Danny are back home down the mountain in an apartment in Boulder. This is our first introduction to Danny's imaginary, maybe, not really sure, friend named Tony, who he describes as a little boy who lives in his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Which is weird to say (laughs) yeah tony's whole what he actually is and his whole relationship with the shining never really fully it seems like i can't really remember from the novel but based on the movie it seems like that would just be the way that danny is processing his gift okay i don't really i can buy that yeah think that tony is like a separate entity it's more like part of his subconscious or something But the whole idea of moving his finger when Tony speaks was something that Danny Lloyd, the little kid, just did in his audition. And they were like, yeah, that's great. Oh, wow. Okay. That wasn't even like a plan. We'll take it. Jack says he's looking forward to the isolation, which will begin on October (laughs) 31st. Something just completely normal people say. Well, he's dealing with this writer's block. He wants to use the peace and quiet to be able to start writing again. But essentially, that he's certainly not experiencing with his wife. Essentially, no one will return until May 1st, and then the hotel will reopen on the 14th. Ullman gives us the explanation as to why it's not open in the winter for winter sports, because of just cost prohibitive to keep the roads clear. Something that probably wouldn't happen now. It seems like if that place was... Going to do good skiing business, they'd find a way. They would figure it out at this point. Yeah, But he tells about the winter of... 1970 and something that went wrong <laughs> sure this is always something strange to interesting me to bring up in an interview when you're watching this in 2019 when they are just like well we might we should tell you about the tragedy that befell this place in the winter of 1970 you're viewing that and thinking of 1970 as like a very distant 50 years time ago yeah but it's very fresh in 1980 which feels right. weird to me I always think, like, why didn't they make it the 50s or something? Like, yeah. It just seems like right, it, it just happened. Well, it's like, how many caretakers have there been in between? Well, 10, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it seems like, I guess they hire a different one every year. I, I'm not sure. Okay. But that would be like if you were going to do this right now, and they were like, in the winter of 2009, there was a tragedy here. I'd be like, that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> 
have you even cleaned the blood up yet wow right in line with the recession okay so this brings us to this interesting part which i guess we might as well bring up now so that he talks about charles grady the former caretaker in 1970 who had two little girls who omen says were about eight and ten which is odd and always throws people because it's played by twins and everyone refers to them as the twins from the shine i know that's the thing and yet it he says strange. that they're not twins. He's saying that they're eight and ten. It, it's almost right. That's the thing. I was gonna bring that up too. It, it's almost like a famous thing. The twins from The Shining, even well, though the it, actresses were twins, right? But yeah, the so I don't know. Are not yeah. This brings us into this whole thing though about doubling because ah, see, there's some lynchism going on here. Duality. Okay. Well, first we'll we'll close the loop on Grady a little bit. Grady murdered his family with an axe and shot himself. It was attributed to cabin fever. I do like that Jack just completely no-sells the story. Just no reaction to this. <laughs> he just doesn't care about anything. Okay, so quite clearly, the name of the man who killed his family is Charles Grady. Yes. And yet we meet a Grady later in the movie. Delbert. Who's called Delbert Grady. And Delbert, had, an interesting name. Seems to have no recollection at first about his family, but then starts talking about correcting them in a well, weird way. Yeah, I love that scene. Yeah, it's interesting how much doubling there actually is in the movie and how it all builds towards this final shot of the film with Jack in the photograph from 1921 and Delbert telling him that Jack has always been the caretaker. It's really an unexplained idea that oh yeah is intriguing but there's this concept of two well i always go is the guy in the photo actually the jack that we knew well and i always uh go back to like is he actually in the photo the whole time or is he in the photo because of the events of the movie right because it seems odd that no one's like wow you look exactly like this guy that's right dead center in the front of this fucking photo that hangs nah that might just feel like deja vu. I don't know if yeah. people necessarily memorize those well, pictures. I w- but I'm just saying when it's just him and his wife and his kid in the hotel, they don't notice it at all. There's a lot of pictures. I mean, That's true. Okay. I don't know. I all could, right. I could see them not noticing. But, I mean, yeah, maybe he wasn't part of the picture till the end. None of this stuff is really fully explained. But I think the thing with Grady opens up this idea of there being an odd feeling of doubling going on and Kubrick throws it in throughout the movie there's a lot of examples of it most of them are not super important for example when they move in on move-in day yeah and those two girls walk by and say bye Mr. Ullman and he's like bye girls those girls kind of look the same okay right there's a lot of people that throughout the movie that kind of look the same it's a weird thing and it doesn't necessarily mean anything other than to remind you of two I guess and the fact that those girls are not supposed to be twins, I guess, but they are, and so that's odd. And yeah, that's true. It's noteworthy. If the guy that Jack encountered later was also named Charles Grady, then you wouldn't really think anything of it. You would be like, oh, well, this is the guy. But the fact that he's not saying that his name is Charles, it's leading you to wonder if there's like some sort of dual universe going on with two yeah. of everyone. I don't know. Who um, knows? What do you think about this other guy that's sort of helping Ullman show jack around that just says fine to everything he comes up in the discussion of doubling as well because shot from behind their hair kind of looks the same oh yeah i mean when you look at them he doesn't look anything like no he also sort of does have like a menacing look to him though yeah i don't know i didn't really have much of a thought about that guy he's just kind of around yeah he is kind of weird though danny has a spell back in boulder where he's talking to tony 
this is the first time the audience learns that something is probably going on with Tony because he knows that Jack has already got the job and that he's about to call Wendy. And then the phone yes. rings and it is Jack. And so sort of, uh, foreshadowing the horrors to come. Yeah, there's a little bit of a supernatural element going on now that we understand that this Tony thing is not just your typical imaginary friend. He shows Danny a vision, the elevators of blood. We see a quick flash of the Grady girls, something that will happen a few times to Danny. Yep, they look creepy as hell. There's an awkward situation once the doctor comes and checks up on Danny, and then the doctor is a woman, and she's talking to Wendy. Yeah. And Wendy just kind of starts talking about... Bumbling oh, her way through this. We had to pull him out of school once because he was injured. And she's like, well, how? Injured. what kind of injury? Yeah. And he's like, well, he dislocated his shoulder. And he's like, well, how did that happen? And it's oh, just it's this really... things. Yeah, she's like, she says, quote, purely an accident. And then the story starts with, my husband had been drinking. And I was just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, that's not great. And you could just see the look on the doctor's face right. like, oh, boy. I know. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like Wendy not really uh, maintaining her confidence through this story either. And it ends with Jack giving up drinking and hasn't Although, been drinking for months now so, or something. Something throws me about the timeline of this like later in the movie, too. When he's talking to Lloyd, he makes it seem like the incident with Danny happened, I don't know, years ago. Right. And then he says he quit drinking five months ago. Yes, so I think there was yeah. definitely some incidents, some falling off the wagon. Okay. Because yeah, yeah, because Danny is fully recovered from right. this shoulder injury, and yeah. yet even when Wendy tells the doctor about it, she says like five months or yeah. something. It's strange. The doctor, it feels like the doctor would be making some sort of a recommendation after this a story. Different time. Yeah. Well, this is the the haunted, violent past that Jack seems to always be on the run from, and that he can't quite seem to shake off. Yeah. And it definitely will be like a recurring chip on his shoulder his inability to distance himself from this traumatic event and he will really not be thrilled about it yeah i do feel like jack is through being sober just continuing to struggle with facing like a couple of hard truths a his wife is super annoying b i think he's a terrible writer and when he was drinking he was able to sort of mask that well i don't think he's ever written anything exactly that's what i mean (laughs) I think he was a teacher who's now trying to be a writer. Declared himself a writer. It like one of those me, people that works for the Ringer. It's, <laughs> it's interesting because I closed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode with Excitable Boy by Warren Zevon. Oh. Which is a song that I thought was funny to tie in with Leatherface and just some of the fucked up shit <laughs> yeah. that Leatherface does. And some of the lyrics in Excitable Boy are insane, even though it's like this upbeat, peppy song. I was wondering about that song in today's climate because I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't even put this because the lyrics are like, you know, he raped her and killed her. And then he, when he gets out of jail after 10 years, he digs up her grave and makes oh, a cage no. from her bones and all this shit. And then the chorus is like, excitable boy, they all said, you know. And then I was Where's like, fuck it, I'm just going to use the song because it's funny. Yeah. And I think what I meant in today's climate was like, I don't think people are willing to take the next step of like examining like what is this song actually about. And The reason I'm bringing it up now is because in relation to this incident with Jack, the song Excitable Boy is how society and the people keep making excuses for this psychopath's behavior. And they just keep saying Excitable Boy. And it's almost like a song about 
how there aren't consequences for certain people and it's a condemnation on this attitude which actually is more in line with today than people would think but i just don't think that people would take that step they would just hear yes. some of those lyrics and be like this is horrible this is horrible yeah and i think that relates here because especially 40 years ago in 1980 women and children and and people were definitely willing to cover up for the terrible behavior of some men and i think that's what's going on here well, yeah it felt like more of a normal thing yes and i definitely think that's kind of the underlying idea of the shining is that Wendy's jack just, has had his demons and wendy's scrambling to cover up for him yeah the, unfortunately people have covered up for him in his life and there's been no consequences and now we're left in a situation where there's no escaping this behavior which kind of gets more and more out of control because of the supernatural elements that they're going to encounter. But ultimately, when you tie all of this in with this incident and with Jack's inability to make it as a writer and then the alcohol, which he clearly didn't want to give up, and he clearly <laughs> doesn't want to be married yeah. and want to have a kid, these things have just kind of been anchors on him that he didn't want. Wendy and Danny are just preventing Jack from doing what he wants to do and being who he thinks that yeah. he is. And ultimately that out, probably would be a bourbon. What's not to like. Yeah. Well, I, I think ultimately it would just be a drunk loser, but yeah, right. he thinks in his mind that if There's he could drink and he could be free glamour. to write yeah. and you know, he would be the next Hemingway. Or oh, something. right. Yeah. So we get to closing day. We're on the drive up immediately. Even in the car ride up, there's all of this tension and annoyance. Jack seems like he's just barely able to put up with, Danny talking at <laughs> yeah. all or Wendy Wendy's so understanding she's so game I mean the fact that she's just like yes oh she's a good my sport. husband has to do yeah. this because he got fired as a teacher and now he needs to make a living so he's gonna be a caretaker at a hotel it's like of course I'm gonna go there's not even a thought of saying like yeah. I don't want to do this now Danny seems old enough that he should be in school yes did that they put him? they had to yeah. pull him out though right for that injury <laughs> yeah <laughs> I guess they're just this taking a, a year off here. Situation? Okay. I don't know. Jack and Wendy are shown around the Overlook Hotel. Meanwhile, Danny by himself in the games room sees the twins again. There's some talk about the Native American designs throughout the hotel. This is when Ullman mentions that it's on an Indian burial ground. Oh, yeah. We Lending... had to fend off some attacks <laughs> yeah, during the back building Back in the old it. days. Yeah. Lending some credence to that theory from Room 237, but that theory... It has been around. That's oh, not yeah. something that's some new ridiculous thing. People were writing about the Native American stuff in, back into the 80s. People have always picked up on that. Well, like we said, there's a lot more evidence that you could latch onto for that one. Yeah. Ullman shows them the hedge maze outside. As we mentioned, it's topiary animals in the book. I think the hedge maze is way cooler, especially in 1980. I mean, oh, now yeah, what would, a giant construction. There might have been a sweet spot where the special effects could have got good, but it wouldn't have looked too f much computer generated somewhere along the line. Nowadays, it probably would look really ridiculous, like computers oh, right. and yes. stuff. And back in 1980, CGI. it would have just looked fake. He shows them the snow cat, which is the only way that they'll be able to travel once there's snow. And then they go to the gold room, and this is where it's pointed out that there's no booze on the premises for insurance purposes. Oh, no. <laughs> Jack's like, reaction. Oh, yes. We don't drink. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, you can oh tell yeah. already. Dick, the hotel's head cook, shows Wendy and Danny the kitchen and the pantry and all that stuff and just starts calling Danny Doc, 
which Wendy picks up on is like, how do you know we call him Doc? And he kind of just shrugs it off. <laughs> yeah, his way of explaining it, not great. Oh, well, he looks like a Doc, right? First, he's like, I must have heard you say it. And she's like, well, we didn't say it. And he's like, well, he looks like a Doc. Yeah. Why don't you shut up? <laughs> <laughs> so they have this telepathic connection, and that will get explored more once Dick and Danny will have a moment alone here. I thought it was weird, though, when they were, like, leaving the pantry, and he's like, well, here's all these prunes, and all of a sudden he's, like, makes some joke about oh, no. keeping regular. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing to say to a woman that yeah. you just met. It's like, I'm going to need a diary of all of your bowel movements. Oh, no. <laughs> Mail to me, please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Almond takes Wendy and Jack to see the boiler room, which is a huge plot point in the book and is just not in the movie really at all no although i do like their duties in the hotel are just completely non-existent in the movie it's like who even cares well at one point in the movie wendy's like walking around like checking all the meters yeah. and like taking notes and i'm like wow <laughs> she's really sort of invested herself in the chores here yeah so this leaves dick halloran and danny in the kitchen which i also thought was weird it's like you just met this man this adult yeah. man and you're leaving your kid with them different time Dick talks to Danny about The Shining, as he calls it. Do you know how I knew your name was Doc? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I can remember when I was a little boy. My grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it shiny. And for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had to shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. But there are other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. How long have you been able to do it? Why don't you want to talk about it? I'm not supposed to. Who said you ain't supposed to? Tony. Who's Tony? Tony's the little boy that loves my mouth. Is Tony the one that tells you things? Yes. How does he tell you things? It's like I go to sleep and he shows me things. But when I wake up, I can't remember everything. Does your mom and dad know about Tony? Yes. Do they know he tells you things? No, Tony told me never to tell him. Has Tony ever told you anything about this place? About the Overlook Hotel? I don't know. Now think real hard, Doc. Think. Maybe he showed me something. Try to think of what it was. 
he says that he was able to have whole conversations with his grandmother without even opening their mouths. And at first, when he was a little kid, he thought that he was the only one and his grandmother were the only ones. And eventually he found other people. It's hard to explain really what The Shining even is other than an ability to perceive different events and then yeah, yeah communicate telepathically i'm wondering if the new movie dr sleep is going to explore it more it seems like in the trailer yeah it feels like there's this whole other world around people that have it yeah i don't know we'll see danny asks halloran about room 237 well it's almost like danny's like tapping into the fact that halloran is like afraid of it right well he's already had these visions because of yeah. tony and i think Danny's being a little coy when he's acting like he doesn't remember or he doesn't know exactly what quote unquote Tony has been telling him. Right. But he does bring up 237 and then Halloran's like warning him, like, stay out of there. Yeah. Stay out. He's like, I'm not afraid Ain't of anything. And then immediately he's panicking yeah. about it. Mr. <laughs> Halloran, are you scared of this place? No. Scared nothing here. It's just that. You know, some places are like people. Some shine and some don't. I guess you could say the Overlook Hotel here has something about it that's like shining. Is there something bad here? Well... You know, Doc, when something happens, it can leave a trace of itself behind. Say, like, if someone burns toast. Well, maybe things that happen leave other kind of traces behind. Not things that anyone can notice, but things that people who shine can see. Just like they can see things that haven't happened yet. Well, sometimes they can see things that happened a long time ago. I think a lot of things happened right here in this particular hotel over the years. And not all of them was good. What about room 237? Room 237? You're scared of room 237, ain't you? No, I ain't. Mr. Allen, what is in room 237? Nothing. There ain't nothing in room 237. But you ain't got no business going in there anyway. So stay out. You understand? Stay out. That is one thing that I will say the book is more interesting about is some of the haunted stuff going on, like the specifics of some of these ghosts that you see throughout the movie. Yeah. You don't really get any stories with any of this stuff. It's just a lot of random pop-ups of different things yeah, happening. Yeah, I enjoy it, though. I, I think... The, yeah, it works. And, yeah, I mean, when are you going to have time to get in on all this stuff? But there's more of, like, a method to the madness with a lot of these different things gotcha. and yeah. why this is here and why what happened. And okay. Basically, the hotel has had a checkered past. Right. Beyond more just so than just Grady, yeah. yeah. Halloran, though, what a legendary dude when you see his apartment in Florida later. 
Oh, I know. Just I was like, I was literally googling how yeah, can I buy these get posters. Those posters of just. Nude it seems like I'm not the only one yeah. who's been looking for them, and yet it don't really seem like you can buy them anywhere. Yeah, which is a shame. It's an interesting life, though. Once again, just like diving back into people's livelihoods, but it's like. I don't know. He's a cook at this hotel. Head cook, though. Well, okay. So head cook's probably pretty good. Well, he probably day. has another job too in Florida. He has yeah. like another restaurant for, that he does. For, it's too long. It's yeah. too much of a part of the year that, to not be doing something yeah. else. Yeah. I think like probably even Ullman and some of the other people probably would have to do something else too. I mean, it's just yeah. you probably make a decent living for only having to work half the year, but I mean, it's just so much time. Yeah. Six months of the year not being there. I think they Who probably knows, all like, do other stuff. What sort of like, health insurance they're getting, too? I mean, yeah. it's a different time. Yeah. A month later, I guess they've fallen into some sort of a routine. Not surprisingly, Jack's writing has gone nowhere. I do like the uh, time stamps of this movie. Like how it's just like yeah. interview. Well, you know, I'm being somewhat. Uh, yeah, like, it's like weird. I know. That's like, what I mean. It's like interview a month later, Tuesday. We forgot closing day. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, and then it's like Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And then yeah, all yeah. of a sudden, at one point, it's like four p.m. Is right. one of them. You're just like, okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Eventually, you're like, what difference does it I make? Know. What day it is? Or I'm sure there's probably something in room two thirty seven about the timestamps. Yeah, and true. Stuff. It means something. Wendy's cheerful support does nothing but annoy Jack. These scenes are executed perfectly. She just says the right things about like, did you get a lot of writing done today? Oh, yeah. You know? And she's being He's like, no, genuine. I've never gotten a lot of writing done. Yeah, I think it's Thanks important. Thanks for making me fucking face that again. That she is being real and genuine and supportive. That's what's key here. Yes. If there was any trace. Which is just unfathomable. Just horrible. If there was any trace of her being sarcastic or her being a bitch or anything, then it doesn't work as well. You actually need her to be completely genuine for it to be infuriating. Yes. Because part of the rage here for Jack is knowing that he's wrong to be mad about it. Because if he has any justification to snap at her, then it doesn't feel the same. Then it's like, well, she is being like kind of a bitch yeah. about this. Or, he's like, why don't you just tell it like it is? Say that I'm a fucking loser. I'm never going to write anything. Forecast said it's gonna snow tonight. What do you want me to do about it? Oh, come on, hun. Don't be so grouchy. I'm not being grouchy. I just want to finish my work. Okay, I understand. I'll come back later on with a couple of sandwiches for you, and maybe you'll let me read something then. Wendy, <clears throat> let me explain something to you. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me, and it will then take me time to get back to where I was. Understand? Yeah. We're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. 
whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here, when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? Jack admits that during his interview, it was as if he'd been at the hotel before. He talks about a whole other level of deja vu. It's kind of a weird conversation that they're having. And it's an indication, again, that there's some sort of mirroring parallel universe. It is very David Lynch in a way of like, well, is there two of everybody? And their spirits are intertwined with this place or something. There's definitely theories about Jack saying certain things throughout the movie which are like signing an agreement for his soul yeah and him talking about his debt to his employers and all of that stuff and then at one point he's like i would sell my soul for a glass of bourbon or something or no a glass of beer i think he says when there's no (laughs) booze and that's when right then the fucking bartender appears and you're like okay that's weird what's up lloyd yeah Jack throws a tennis ball against the wall. This was kind of improvised by Nicholson in the script. I think it just says Jack continues to not work. By the way, I spent like a lot of my childhood doing this, just throwing the ball against the wall. Yeah, I did too. Everybody did. Yeah, it's a pretty good improvisation though, rather than just have him sitting there not writing. It really shows you how he's just like doing anything but writing. Wendy and Danny go outside and explore the hedge maze. There's an interesting moment where there's like a model of the hedge maze on a table and it's a really cool shot where Jack is like looking at the model and then it becomes like an overhead shot of Wendy and Danny actually moving through the maze. However, it's clearly still the model because the version that you see them walking in is insane. That's that's not the real hedge maze. I mean... It's not that complicated. It, you, it would be in there for years. Oh, I know. The one that he's looking at, that shot is so weird because that. Well, that's. I never really understand what's being implied here. Like, is he actually seeing them in the model? Open to interpretation. Okay. I mean, I don't think so, but. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> We're not really providing a lot of answers. <laughs> if you came to this podcast searching well, for answers about I, The Shining, then forget this it. This is why I needed Room 237 to be what I wanted it to be and not what it actually is. <laughs> Wendy interrupts Jack again. Jack's nerves are completely fraying. Almost every time that she talks to him, it gets more dramatic and over the top. (laughs) The snow finally comes. The phone lines are down. Yeah. This is the beginning of the isolation for sure. Jack and Wendy's interactions sort of remind me in Gone Girl in that part where Ben Affleck's like, things were building up. And Tyler Perry's like, building up (laughs) implies an explosion. (laughs) Danny rolling around the hotel on the big wheel. The way that this shot is really cool because it's oh, like yeah, over his is... shoulders. So every time he turns a corner, you're kind of like tensing up. Is something going to jump out? Eventually, the twins are there. They reappear. They actually speak to him this time. They say, hello, Danny. Come play with us Yeah, forever and ever and ever. And then oh, it's cutting between them holding hands and then that violent, bloody vision of them killed with the axe. Right. Which is so fucking crazy. Yeah. now <laughs> Because it's children. You usually don't see that in movies. Also, the audio of him riding around this tricycle and going like onto the carpet and then onto the hardwoods mm-hmm. is really cool the way that's done because it's like so loud when it's yes. on just like the wood floors and then like goes quiet across the carpet. I mean, it's just, just another like cool, just the way that they do it is awesome. We usually don't get super technical on this podcast but this was one of the first movies where they used steadicam okay 
and the guy that invented Steadicam was actually on set and contributed to it. And you can tell because basically Steadicam allows them to use the camera moving over uneven surfaces without shaking. the camera yeah. shaking. So it goes throughout the hotel with Danny at various points, but also like when they do the stuff up the stairs and all that different stuff. And so, yeah, this movie was definitely cutting edge as far as the cinematography and the look of it and how it was shot. Now, most movies have tons of different things at their disposal when it comes to different kinds of setups for the cameras and all these different things. But yeah, this was definitely something new that people hadn't seen before. Yeah. As time goes by, it becomes more and more apparent that Wendy and Danny are tiptoeing around Jack. It's like this unspoken, bleak thing hanging <laughs> over their lives. Things aren't going sad. Yeah. I think it's when Danny goes to get that fire truck and Jack is supposed to be asleep, but he's actually awake. And then he calls him over and he's sitting there talking to Danny. And this is not too long after the vision of the twins. And Jack says forever and ever and ever just like the twins oh, did, no. which is yeah. an echoing of something that they had just said. Danny asks something along the lines of, you would never hurt me and mommy, would you? Oh, and this wow. just sets yeah. him off. <laughs> <laughs> Who put that thought in your head? Yeah, clearly a chip on his shoulder about violence and his past violence and this inability to escape his former self. like sure. yeah. To, out- to outrun his mistakes and just not being able to do it. Later, Danny is playing with all of his trucks on the floor on that iconic-looking carpeting that everyone always loves yeah, that design which is awesome. of. Yeah, When a tennis ball rolls up to him seemingly from nowhere, which there's no creepy. one around. Yeah. And now the door to room 237, which had been locked and closed previously, is now inexplicably open, and Danny's curiosity oh gets the better of him. Well, you got to take a look. As Danny is entering room 237... Jack is screaming in his sleep in front of his typewriter, just literally me every night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it almost feels like he had like a seizure. There's like drool all over the place. It's very animalistic and and kind of a haunting sound of him like yelling. And Wendy hears it all the way down in the boiler room. That's what the only time we see her. This is literally like me sleeping. I mean, this is my sleep is like this intense. (laughs) Wendy runs in and wakes him up, and he tells her that he had a nightmare. He dreamed that he killed Wendy and Danny and cut them into little pieces. This is like a strange moment for Jack because he actually seems like a normal person in this moment. Yeah. It speaks to a struggle going on. That there's some normal part of him still there, that he hasn't fully been taken over yet by the hotel and the, the forces, but... It took something this traumatic, I guess, to even shake him out of it for a minute. Right. Danny walks in visibly traumatized and bruised. Wendy accuses Jack of abusing him, which Jack denies. Kind of just a brutal moment. <laughs> kind of in she's... a weird way where he's just like shaking his head in disbelief. <laughs> she's hugging Danny and then she just like turns and looks at Jack and it's just kind of like this brutal moment How of like, you? yeah. yeah. <laughs> The marriage ending, like, in one second. What we can only describe as divorce eyes from Wendy. (laughs) Wendy wears some fucking wild clothes in this movie. yeah. When we first see her, even, back in Boulder, she's wearing, like, that denim dress with, like, the red leggings and red sleeves. Yeah, and she's always dressing up Danny in his cool sweaters. The Nicholson faces in this movie are just off the charts great. Oh, yeah. I think one of the more noticeable 
recreations, I think, was Paul Thomas Anderson trying to get Mark Wahlberg to do some faces in Boogie Nights at various points, okay. just like the vacant, dead-eyed stares. Yeah. Jack continues on this further spiral. He's more susceptible now, especially after this incident, because it seems like by creating yeah, a what's he gonna do? separation of him from his wife and son that the hotel now has like a path in this rage that he feels he needs some new allies he wanders over to the gold room sits down at the bar bar which as we mentioned was emptied of all the alcohol and starts talking and this is when he says he would sell his soul for a glass of beer this is like one of my favorite scenes in any movies (laughs) suddenly the empty bar is now full and we meet Lloyd, the yeah. bartender. When Lloyd shows up, the the first time I ever saw this, I was like, whoa, holy shit. Like, so not expecting a dude to be there. Yet another connection to Blade Runner, too. This is Dr. Tyrell from oh, the original right. Blade Runner. Yeah. Hi, Lloyd. A little slow tonight, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, it is, Mr. Torrance. What will it be? I'm awfully glad you asked me that, Lloyd. Because I just happen to have two 20s and two 10s right here in my wallet. I was afraid they were going to be there till next April. So here's what. You slip me a bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. You can do that, can't you, Lloyd? You're not too busy, are you? (laughs) No, sir. Not busy at all. Good man. You set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden. Say, Lloyd, it seems I'm temporarily light. <laughs> How's my credit in this joint, anyway? Your credit's fine, Mr. Torrance. That's swell. I like you, Lloyd. I always liked you. You were always the best of them. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Thank you for saying so. I wouldn't touch one hair on his goddamn little head. I love the little son of a bitch. (laughs) I'd do anything for him. Any fucking thing for him. But that bitch, as long as I live, she'll never let me forget what happened. Completely unintentional. Could have happened to anybody. And it was three goddamn years ago. The 
little fucker had thrown all my papers all over the floor. All I tried to do was pull them up. A momentary loss of muscular coordination. You extra foot pounds of energy per second per second. This odd interaction with this ghost, I I mean, I guess we can just describe the people in the hotel as ghosts. They might be visions, they might be real, they may not be real at all, they might be figments of imagination. I I don't know, but I think ghosts is a suitable way to describe them. I think so. I was reading something about how, like, all of the scenes that Jack Torrance has with these characters, it's, it's always in a setting where there's, like, mirrors present. Yeah, that's possible. So if you could read into it that it's just always him. I like yeah. the ghosts, though. Yeah, well, there's some incidents in the movie, though, that lead you to think that it's more than just him. I would agree. Yeah. He gets taken... Attacked he, by a naked old woman. Well, he also gets let out of a locked pantry. Well, that's the part that... <laughs> how would you ever explain Plus, that? Plus, Wendy yeah. sees them later when Absolutely. Jack is not really around. Yes. But this provides Jack an opportunity to vent about his marriage and about the incident that happens. It's a really a revelation about Jack's inner feelings. And I've mentioned this several times now throughout it, but this is really the whole thing. This incident that happened with Danny and his inability to move past it. It's something that happened and Jack may be a bad guy in a lot of ways, but I think that he's carrying around this guilt about it and he just yeah. doesn't know what to do. I didn't and- mean to hurt the kid. He understands now that his wife and son view him differently, and he's been forced to change, which he did not want to do. He clearly did not want to give up drinking. There is like a bigger thing here that I do think is relatable to a degree. Being in any sort of relationship situation and something happening and you can just like (laughs) never go back. You know what I mean? I mean, it does just become this like resentful existence. Sure, yeah. It could be anything. Yeah. In this instance, it's dislocating Danny's sure. shoulder. Perhaps Jack crossed a line. I'm willing to side with Wendy yeah, and this on this one. Yeah, this is present in the novel as well, and it definitely is this haunting incident. And there's can't really remember for sure, but I want to say there's echoes of other yeah. things too. Not necessarily with Danny, but there was some sort of incident that got him fired from the school or sure. something. Well, I know it feels like on this show that I'm always siding against the woman, but I am... <laughs> Willing to go as far as to say that I'm on Wendy's side in this case. <laughs> there was a time yeah. where we talked about doing The Shining as an oh, episode yeah. as like an <laughs> April Fool's joke right. where we were going to like pretend that Jack was the hero. Yeah, that Jack was like normal and acceptable and everything else was just. And just do the whole episode <laughs> without under that guy's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it probably wouldn't have been the greatest idea to do that. No, yeah. <laughs> that could have caused some issues. Wendy comes in and breaks up the party. Lloyd and the booze vanish. She tells Jack about a crazy woman in room 237 that tried to strangle Danny. So this, <laughs> in a weird way. Are you out of way, your fucking mind? Yeah, it's odd because 
Jack reacts so negatively to it, and then later will deny that he saw anything in Room 237, yet right. this is his out yeah. for not hurting Danny this time, and yet he well, doesn't roll with it. He's already spiraled too far. We see Halloran in Miami, the nude women on the wall with the afros. That's right. Pretty cool artwork. Just legendary apartment. The one thing I don't like about this is he's watching the news in Miami, and the lead story is the weather in Colorado. Seems I don't shocking. buy that for a yeah. second. For a second. No. That's so weird. But he senses something is wrong, and now this sets off in motion him trying to get back to the Overlook, which will take place over a little yeah, bit of time Yeah, I, I don't here. know. I feel like they could have done something more to play up the connection between him and Danny in this instance that led him yeah. to he I'm wondering if moment, in the book but... there is something where they reach out, he gets a message a little clearer or something. I know that there were certain supernatural elements that King felt were ignored and not touched on enough in the movie. He also didn't think that the alcoholism stuff was enough. He yeah. seemed to have a lot of issues. Okay, that's clear. <laughs> Jack goes to room 237 to check on Danny's story, and this is where the nude woman gets out of the bath. Tub. Yeah. At first, she's good at first. young and beautiful. Everyone has a fear boner because they know what's coming, though. <laughs> Full frontal by both the young and attractive woman and then also the old lady. Yeah. Just going the for it. The old and attractive lady, I would say. Yeah, with her rotting skin. Right. <laughs> Just an unbelievable bathroom. Imagine having a hotel room with a bathroom that looked like that. I know it's not. The bathroom is as big as the room. Yeah. <laughs> it's huge. Right. It's a palace of a bathroom. Yeah. And with both. A, both bathroom and regular room bigger than either of our apartments. <laughs> yeah, the Overlook seems like an awesome hotel. Oh, yeah. So Jack begins kissing the hot lady who turns into the disgusting old witch. <laughs> who just starts maniacally laughing. Yeah. I mean, I think of her as like a ghost witch of some kind. Yep. I think because she disguises how she looks. At first, she's more than just a regular ghost. But then they show the old woman like under the water in the bathtub, and clearly somebody died in this room or something. And okay, I think that's fair to say. I think that's what's right. going on. I do think that there is a little bit of a callback to this in Doctor Sleep. I wonder if they'll do it in the movie. I guess we'll see. When Jack gets back to the Torrance apartment in the Overlook, he tells Wendy that he saw nothing yeah. in room 237. So I think as a viewer at this point, we know... Jack, just no longer. He's buying into yeah, the hotel right. company line here. Dick tries to call, but the phone lines are down. He now knows things are going haywire up there. He can sense it. Wendy wants to remove Danny from the hotel, which causes Jack to freak out. What? No one's fucking leaving here. <laughs> Everything's fine. Yeah, kind of an intense moment. So then he goes off on his own again to blow off steam, I guess. And he comes across a full-blown ball going on in the gold oh, room. Oh, yeah. Lloyd's back, and there's ghosts everywhere having a great time. And I think this is set in the 20s. I think these are flappers. I think this is tying in with the picture we see at the end. Yep. Which also, again, in a minute, he's going to come across Delbert Grady, who was the caretaker in 1970. This seemingly was 50 years prior to that. Again, I don't know what that means. It's such an odd thing. Well, the whole thing about there being two Grady's, I almost felt like, was maybe playing into it. Playing into what? The whole idea of him being in the picture. Well, yeah, that's what 20s. I meant. Yeah, right. The, that's, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I've been saying. Okay, the yeah, whole time. right. <laughs> I just don't know what that means. But like, yeah, me neither. But I'm just, I know it's so. It feels like there's something there where maybe like I don't know, Grady was somehow trapped in this, and maybe he's like taking Grady's place. 
No, I don't think he's taking his place because I think he just he's falling in line and joining in. Okay. I don't know. Company man. Grady There's and- something forceful about Grady's whole like you've always been the caretaker. What do you mean? So he's saying that like Jack doesn't want to be and he's forcing him to be. I don't. Well, at one point, Grady I, was. I just the thought caretaker. the emphasis was that you've always been a part of the hotel, which is okay. explaining the doubling yeah. that there was a part of him always there. I guess if you want to think of it as a haunted hotel and it's built on this Indian Indian burial ground and potentially is cursed and all this different stuff, and the people that have died in the hotel are doomed to remain forever then you could say that it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, like, that's true. That's the fair. idea of ghosts existing and curses existing, for some reason we always as human beings want to project Rationalize rational it. Yeah. sense to it. It's like, well, maybe if this stuff really existed, it would just not really make any sense. Like, why are there yeah. two versions of Grady and two versions of Jack and all this different stuff? Who knows? Well, what's <laughs> going on here, though, where Grady just, like, dumps all this, like, whatever on Jack? It's like, oh, let me go clean you up. Yeah. This, they so need they to go, have a one-off conversation here. They go into the bathroom. Jack recognizes the name, and he confronts Grady about the fate of Grady's family. At first, Grady says he has no recollection of this happening. I don't know what you're talking about. He says, you've always been the caretaker. I should know, sir. I've always been here. Yeah. Grady tells Jack about Danny communicating with Dick Halloran. Yeah, and, and how I he's think attempting to bring an outsider into the situation, as now, he calls it. Grady noticeably dropping an N bomb here, which I feel like certainly I think they both say it. Yeah, it doesn't play <laughs> obviously for obvious reasons, but even then, it's such a hard cut change in Grady's demeanor that's so effective about it though you know yeah he's like like, all right well we're getting serious now yeah because like this whole conversation they've been like dancing around this thing like Grady's being nothing but this polite service industry type and then all of a sudden it's just like this hard cut change in his delivery and this again is further evidence that Jack is actually experiencing something outside of his own mind because there's no way that Jack would know oh yeah that Dick Halloran's returning and Jack doesn't really know that his son has this telepathic ability. Agreed. He just thinks he has an imaginary friend. So Grady is telling him things that he does not know on his own. And then he tells him that at first his daughters did not like the hotel and tried to burn it down and he needed to correct them. Yes. And then when his wife tried to stop him, he corrected her too. And, and that potentially he needs to do that to Wendy yeah, and Danny. suggesting Wendy and Danny need a correction. <laughs> Grady? Yes, sir. Delbert Grady. That's right, sir. Uh, Mr. Grady, haven't I seen you somewhere before? Well, no, sir. I don't believe so. Uh It's coming off now, sir. Grady, weren't you once the caretaker here? Why, no, sir. I don't believe so. You a married man, are you, Mr. Grady? Yes, sir. Hmm? I have a wife and uh, two daughters, sir. Hmm? And uh, where are they now? Oh, they're somewhere around. I'm not quite sure at the moment, sir. (laughs) 
Mr. Grady. You were the caretaker here. I recognize you. I saw your picture in the newspapers. You, uh, chopped your wife and daughter up into little bits. And then you blew your brains out. I don't have any recollection of that at all. Mr. Grady, you were the caretaker here. I'm sorry to differ with you, sir. But you are the caretaker. been the caretaker. I should know, sir. I've always been here. Did you know, Mr. Torrance, that your son is attempting to bring an outside party into this situation? Did you know that? No. He is, Mr. Torrance. Who? A nigger. son has a very great talent. I don't think you are aware how great it is, but he is attempting to use that very talent against your will. actually stole a pack of matches 
and tried to burn it down. But I corrected them, sir. And when my wife tried to prevent me from doing my duty, I corrected her. Meanwhile, Danny now slowly slipping away and becoming more controlled by Tony. He's saying red rum, and he's telling Mrs. Torrance that Danny's not here. Kind of creepy and weird. Certainly. I think the first time I ever saw this movie, this part was where it started to feel more like a horror movie to me. Like this all the way up through the the Halloran death scene and like the, the chase throughout the hotel. Yeah, depending uh, how you cut the trailer, I mean, you can always make this seem like this is the scary thing that's happening. Sure, But yeah. ultimately, Tony's role is not necessarily bad, I guess. I, I don't really know. Hard to say. Hard to see where uh, Tony falls into all this. Jack removes parts from the radio, thus cutting off all lines of communication with the outside world. Dick's like, fuck it, I'm flying back to Colorado. There's some fucked up shit going on. I gotta get involved. He begins a long trek through the snow to get to the Overlook, one that involves him eventually getting a snowcat yeah. so that he can be able to get up there through and the snow. going by an accident where there's a destroyed red Volkswagen bug. Yes. That had something to do with Room 237, right? Yeah, well, this whole thing about in the book, it's the, the Torrance family drives a red bug, <laughs> right? But So in this movie... They drive a yellow bug, Oh God! but we see this red bug just completely destroyed. Yeah. And I think what they were saying in Room 237 was, this is Kubrick's way of saying, this is not Stephen King's The Shining. This is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Just remembering some of these things is making me hate it even right. more. Tony still has control of Danny. Wendy carries a baseball bat to go find oh, Jack, yeah. which right. is funny. But it's kind of great because you've almost kind of forgot about this whole thing with the woman, quote, attacking Danny or whatever. But then it's, she's just like, there's a woman in the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> a naked woman attacked our son. This is a startling revelation and kind of one of those chilling reveals that works perfectly in the movie and is ultimately not yes. really done in the novel and not really done in this way at all. This part is amazing, I think. What happens in the novel, I believe, is that Jack discovers all of these old documents in the basement of the hotel, pictures and newspaper articles, and that inspires him to start writing. And thus, the writer's block disappears. But Kubrick decides to save the writer's block thing till way deep into the movie here. Oh, yeah. And having this big reveal of all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Just and that's all he's written thousands over and over of pages and over. <laughs> In different formats, by the way. It's a chilling revelation oh, because now it's, Wendy understands how completely deranged this man that she's staying and, there with is. And as a viewer, you are like, when did this start? Like, mm -hmm. when did he start writing this? Has he been writing just this the whole time? Yes. Wow. And it's like, is he aware that that's all he's writing? Yeah, is he that seriously. far gone? Faced with the reality of the situation she and her son are now in, Wendy is freaking out as Jack discovers that she's reading the pages. She starts backing up. It's this long yeah, sequence this of her awesome. backing up, trying to get him to stay away from her. He keeps advancing upon her. Trying Eventually, play nice. when they get to the stairs, he actually voices a real threat. Oh, he says yeah. that he's going to... Bash cut her, her up brains in or something yeah yeah and then cut her up or something and at the top of the steps wendy hits jack in the hand which yeah. like distracts him and then she hits him in the head and knocks him down the stairs which knocks him unconscious 
And then maybe one of the more unbelievable parts of the her movie. Her dragging him. She somehow yeah. drags him from that landing. Because it's not like he fell from the steps all the way to the bottom of steps. It's yeah. just down to a landing. She gets him from that landing all the way into the kitchen to lock him into a pantry. I mean, if I was her. Now, yeah, it seems nuts. She looks like she weighs about 98 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. It seems crazy that she's able to drag him. But beyond that, even if I'm accepting that. Wouldn't you be, like, afraid that he's going to come to at any time? Yeah, and he almost does. Yeah. But I guess there's what is her choice? To wait for him to wake up or to at least try to get him? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Unfortunately for Wendy, though, Jack has not only disabled the radio, he's also disabled the snowcat. Yeah. Which she finds out, trapping them all at the hotel. Things have taken a bad turn here. In a scene that can only smash some people's theories about what's going on with the ghosts, Grady actually yes. physically lets Jack out of the pantry, which I guess serves as some kind of proof of the supernatural. Yeah, absolutely. This is the part where you're just like, okay, well, I can't explain that away. It's pretty funny, too, because it's like Jack is embarrassed in front of Grady. Oh, I know. Grady's just and like... Grady's like taunting him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he's like, you're horrible at this. <laughs> I love the shot of Halloran's snowcat making its way through the pines, like that first shot yeah, we see sweet. where it's like advancing towards the camera. looks really cool. Danny slash Tony still pacing around saying red rum over and over. Seemingly like in a trance or something. Yeah. Kind of random that Wendy is napping at that particular moment. <laughs> well, she had to rest. You know, <laughs> just, that I just, baseball bat really took a lot out I'm of her. I'm trapped in this hotel. Like, I just Jose learned. Canseco. Lear, I just learned that the snowcat is destroyed. I'm trapped in this hotel with my madman husband who I had to lock in a pantry. My son is speaking in his imaginary friend's voice acting like a complete lunatic, I guess now is the right time that oh, I'll no. snag some Zs. Yeah, that ambient <laughs> is kicking in that I took a few hours ago. Danny writes red rum in lipstick on the bathroom door next to his sleeping mother. Why does he do this? I mean, it's kind of iconic with the movie, the whole thing of red rum and being murder backwards, but it does feel like hard to figure out what the point of this was. It's almost like Tony is trying to warn Mrs. Torrance. Okay. And Danny who I believe is Tony, is not able to like figure it out. He's not able to interpret this warning that he's seeing in his head. And so, so let's he just doesn't lay it under- out for you. Here's what it is, Mrs. Torrance. He, well, he doesn't murder. understand like what he's saying. He's saying red rum, right. but he it's really murder. And I guess that speaks to the mirror world because True. maybe the way that Danny's seeing the vision from Tony, quote unquote, is backwards or something. That I don't know. Be. While holding a huge knife, he shouts the word loud enough to wake Wendy up. Dazed, Wendy sees in the mirror's reflection that red rum is murder backwards. At that moment, Jack begins breaking through the door to the Torrance apartment with an axe. Yeah, he's now gone to just full deranged lunatic at this point. Oh, yeah. Well, he knows he has his marching orders. He was let out of the pantry, and he has to finish this job, which is to kill them. They had to use real doors because Nicholson was breaking through the prop doors too quickly because he was a former volunteer firefighter. What, just like a man, you know, just like breaking down fake doors. And they, of course, had to do a million doors because they fucking shot this a a million million times. (laughs) There's some cool footage out there online of Nicholson like pacing around, like hulking himself up, like to get ready to do this scene. He's like getting into the mindset of being a lunatic. It's kind of a weird thing where he's just like, <gasps> like kind of like ape like that's a wild thing but yeah i mean he's basically acting like an animal at a certain point mouse come out wherever you are 
Wendy locks herself and Danny in the bathroom. She can get Danny through the window as an escape, and he can slide down the snow, which has been, like, blown up against the side of the building. But Wendy can't fit, so Jack starts breaking through the bathroom door with the axe. He sticks his head through and says, here's Johnny, which is, of course, one of the more famous moments. Almost not used by Kubrick because Kubrick, not familiar, really, with The Tonight Show. Yeah. The first time I ever saw this, though, I I definitely don't think I knew... That this was from something. Right. Yeah, I probably didn't either. I mean, Um, I never really watched The Tonight Show. But I still, you know, it still feels like a a classic, iconic moment, like the second you see it, you know? Yeah, I think it's definitely one of the AFI's 100 lines or whatever, you know, like all those stupid things. She slices Jack's hand with a knife, which causes him to retreat. And at that moment, Jack hears Halloran's approach on the snowcat. Kind of an uncool ending here for dick i agree it's sort kind of, of like, pointless that he, he didn't really need to even show up and i'm wondering is this just set up to have jack kill somebody to make there be a death right because otherwise the there, it wouldn't be yeah i, I th- i've thought that too there's so much of a build it feels like of halloran like making his odyssey back to the hotel yes you know what i mean and it's like he's there for like two seconds his guard not up at all yeah i mean i guess if place. you're gonna look at this as like a fantasy story and each element of the story has this purpose and they have to like bring all these things together it's like Halloran is basically sacrificing himself to bring yeah the snow cat that they will escape on right otherwise there's no way for them to that's escape that's what puts, puts that piece of the puzzle in place gives them an escape route but yeah it is sort of like for a character that you are starting to feel invested in <laughs> his whole journey back maybe he's gonna help Danny and Wendy and it's just like dead in two seconds it's a pretty solid jump scare. It's really the only one that they use throughout the whole yep, movie. that's true. And it's definitely iconic and famous. Axe to the chest. Oh, yeah. Just growling like an animal. As right. He's like, <laughs> just so crazy. Yeah. Wendy starts seeing some ghosts as she's wandering now through the hotel. Also kind of a classic scene. Just kind of a bizarre, it's unexpected. A pr- precursor to the furry movement absolutely there's a blowjob bear scene the debauchery going on here i think is more apparent in the novel it it definitely almost feels like shades of eyes wide shut which is a movie that kubrick would make 20 years later almost 
but it's only touched upon here briefly. It doesn't really make any sense. There's no way for that guy to blow the other guy with that mask on. I don't really know what he's doing, just <laughs> nuzzling know. his I know, but it is creepy. Crotch. It's effective, I think. Yeah, and he's wearing, like, drop seat pajamas or one, a onesie, True. so his, like, yeah. butt is out. <laughs> but they do that thing where they it's both just, like, weird thing. look at her, yeah. you know? And this is the first time that Wendy's actually seen other people in the hotel at this point. Jack chases Danny out of the hotel and into the hedge maze. He's following Danny's footsteps in the snow. I guess it should be pointed out he's still suffering from his injuries from the fall on the stair, which is giving Danny the leg up yeah, in this chase. for sure. Inside the hotel, it's becoming a real nightmare for Wendy. After encountering the blowjob ghosts, she finds Halloran's bloody corpse... And then she sees a ghost with, like, a split scalp, like a cut that's, like, starting on the top of his head and working down his face, who actually speaks to her. Then she hears what sounds like haunted voices. I'm I'm not 100% sure if it's something that she's hearing or the score. It's kind of like Suspiria, because there's just all these voices all of a sudden, and I'm not sure if that's what she's hearing or not. I think it is, but I don't know. She goes to the gold room, which is now filled with cobwebs and skeletons. Yeah, this is probably, if I had anything to complain about this movie, it would be this. I I don't love this part. I can roll with it. Okay. It's almost like an old school throwback haunted house thing. Yeah. And it's just for like a few seconds. I think it's just to add like one more weird thing happening because they didn't really have time, I guess, to get into the backstory of like all the ghosts. Gotcha. Maybe it would have been cooler if it was all the people from the 1921 july 4th ball but like fucked up like that guy she just saw rather than just the skeletons but you know whatever yeah it's fine she's the one that actually sees the cascade of blood coming out of the elevators that danny first saw way back in boulder and his flashed through his mind a few times now we're actually seeing it or wendy's seeing it unclear if that's actually happening or people have said like oh this blood is the bloodshed of the native americans that we killed and okay who knows? I, I don't really Or think... what even the ramifications of this are. I mean, how much of the hall fills up with blood? I mean, yeah. she just basically runs away from it, and that's it. In the maze, Danny lays a false trail and manages to backtrack his steps in order to mislead and confuse Jack. Yeah, pretty good plan, really. Yeah, unbelievable thinking on his feet. <laughs> yeah, way to go, Danny. Danny then is able to hide basically behind a snowdrift or a part of the hedge, and Jack reaches the end of those footsteps and just doesn't know what to do. Yeah, he's lost the ability to think. Yeah, because point. he's almost like drunk at this point. For he's sure. more he's like deranged like yes. and crazy, but yeah, he just he's there's, not able to process information anymore. There's kind of a lot of parts where he feels it seems like he's drunk. Yeah. Even though he's not. Because you would think that if he was in complete control of himself and his faculties, then he would understand what had happened here. That it wasn't that Danny suddenly vanished. Yes. He would put it together, okay, he must have backtracked somehow, but he's unable to like reach that conclusion in his state. Danny escapes from the maze and reunites with Wendy. They flee the overlook together in Halloran's snowcat. Yes. While Jack, lost in the maze, freezes to death after losing Danny's trail. Just animalistic shouts going on <laughs> at the end for right. him. I love that abrupt cut to the frozen jack yeah i know it's nuts it's almost like you are expecting there to be more and then all of a sudden it's just over right frozen (laughs) (laughs) yeah pretty much as dead as you can be yeah and then in a pretty great way to end the movie 
where the viewer is left really wondering what the fuck was going on yeah. the whole time. Who's going to find Halloran? <laughs> There's a photograph in the hotel hallway. It keeps zooming in. We see that Jack is pictured standing amidst a crowd of party revelers from July 4th, 1921, right up front and center. Oh, and yeah. I guess you can interpret that in any number of ways. That he was always a part of the hotel or Huge that he smile. didn't somehow become a part of the hotel's fabric until he died there. Yeah, Who knows? Unclear. Right. <laughs> I don't know, but it's a cool way to end it. It is. It ends with that brassy music that was going on in the gold room earlier. Yeah. I know like last podcast on the left always ends their episodes oh, with do that. They? Yeah. Yeah. The soundtrack's awesome from the Absolutely. beginning. There's all kinds of different cool classical music throughout it. Generally considered one of the best soundtracks ever yeah so this is our second kubrick movie yeah well just in time for halloween one of the all-time great directors for sure uh, like i said this is my favorite movie of his i know you know he's certainly got his full metal jacket fans and clockwork orange fans but this for me is this is my kubrick movie yeah it's certainly the easiest to relate to that's for absolutely sure. yes <laughs> <laughs> there are probably a lot of things about this movie that we missed or didn't pick up on or just ignored because we don't like it but (laughs) as we are wont to do i think that it's more interesting to view this movie more straightforward than i think a lot of people want to i think people have tried to assign all kinds of crazy meanings to it and if you just step back and appreciate it for what it is on a more straightforward level then it's actually easier to see the artistry and the genius at work oh, than yeah, to absolutely. try to come up with all this crazy shit right. because that to me doesn't mean anything. I mean, I do love that it's inspired all this stuff, but yeah, ultimately the the surface value of this movie, I mean, there's enough there to get enjoyment out of. Yeah, I think some of it stems from some of the inconsistencies that are noticeable in the movie. We pointed out a few of them. There's more, I think, pointed out in some yeah. of those theories and Although I do think a lot of that is just stuff to be weird for weird's sake, too, to kind of keep you on edge. Yeah, and some of it might just be a mistake. True, yeah. They did talk to a lot of the people that worked with Kubrick in Room 237, and most of them were just, like, shrugging their shoulders at this shit, being like, yeah, no, (laughs) we never thought about any of that stuff. Yeah. What are you talking about? (laughs) Get a life. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that could pretty much sum up Room 237. Get a life. Yeah. Yeah, good watch, though. Yeah, so happy Halloween. That brings us to the end of another successful Greatest October. Yeah, how do we decide that what it's successful? <laughs> In that it happened. Right, okay, I'm That's good with that. That's enough for me. What are you doing? What? what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So, do you have any recommendations? I do, actually. Sort of a director with some shades of Kubrick, and I guess some a little bit similar setting to this movie. I watched it a couple weeks ago, and just sort of a random watch. I had seen it before, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to throw this on. Uh, 2002, Christopher Nolan's Insomnia, remake of a Norwegian movie, I believe. That sounds uh, right. You know, even in 2002, you're able to see, like... Nolan's ability to use like well big casts and have something that just like looks really good even for the time like yeah it looks like the look of it seems ahead of its time I have not watched that movie in a long time it's a follow-up to Memento he was 
announcing himself on the big stage. Yeah. So pretty cool movie. I would say that not unlike Kubrick, a lot of Christopher Nolan's characters are kind of cold and you can see some of these same type of feels yeah. in his movies, although certainly Nolan has stayed more to the mainstream side. For sure. But I enjoyed the movie. I think it's streaming on Prime right now. So okay. that is my recommendation for this week. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really prepare one. I kind of forgot, but I'll go ahead and recommend Joker. Okay, so there you have it. Which I specifically told Matt he was not allowed to recommend (laughs) a couple of weeks ago. That's okay. It's your show. Well, there were thoughts that we were going to put together a Give Us a Second for this month. It just did not come together. Well, you know, the downloads weren't propelling us to a place where we felt like we had to release a a Yeah, there wasn't a huge demand for a Give Us a Second. Plus, we were going to talk about a movie that hadn't come out yet in Pittsburgh, and we just didn't get a chance to see it. So it kind of blew up in our face. We saw Joker a couple weeks ago. It's not a perfect movie. There are things about it that are kind of cliche and annoying, but it's a a really good performance from Joaquin Phoenix. I would not be surprised if he's nominated for Best Actor. Yeah. I don't know if he will win or not. I do not expect Joker to be nominated for Best Picture. I wouldn't think. Because of a lot of the drama going on around it, which is, of course, ridiculous. But you pointed it out after we walked out of the movie, and it's like was really resonating with me as well. The idea that a movie with the content being this dark, being like this successful, that so many people yeah, are seeing. Yeah, it just recently became the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. Yeah, and passing there's not a, Deadpool two. Not a lot of optimism <laughs> in it, you know. No, it's so bleak, and it's not the type of movie that you really want to sneak the kids in to see. I know some parents not, might no. take their kids to like an R-rated superhero movie like Deadpool which of course is like raunchy and stuff but this isn't really raunchy it's no. just kind of grim Fucked up. yeah I don't think that the controversy though makes any sense the media basically tried a coordinated assassination attempt well, on this true. movie and yeah. they failed spectacularly of course because they're ridiculous and it's highly successful they were basically begging a shooter to go into a theater during one of these movies oh no I mean they, they, it was that yeah. pathetic by the end of it just like daring somebody to do it so they could report on it it feels very of the times even though it's set in 1981 you know what i mean yeah it's I, very, I yeah, it feels very sure. real and raw and it's definitely a cross between taxi driver and the king of comedy and it feels right out of like a scorsese universe or yeah something, that's true which is the why 80s. at one point he was a a producer on it and ended up not being in the end because of the irishman and all that stuff but whatever so, yeah, that'll be your recommendation. I guess that'll do it for yeah, thanks, Greatest October. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. We certainly have enjoyed the level of interest in the show. Sure. And this is my favorite thing that we do is October, and now I have to wait a whole year to feel good about the show again. But <laughs> Yeah, you can go back to mailing it in. That's right. Doing almost yeah. nothing. <laughs> yeah, so as we mentioned, we won't be back for a couple of weeks, but we will – return by the end of november come back strong refreshed this gives everyone a chance to catch up maybe re-download some old ones re-listen wow. to some of your favorites yeah. something like that someone was telling me that they listened to the jennifer's body episode the other day oh wow yeah so the older the episode is like the more likely that it doesn't sound great <laughs> that's okay <laughs> all right folks that'll do it for the shining and we will see you in a few weeks when I look out my window 
many sights to see And when I look in my window So many different people to be That it's strange So strange You got to pick up Oh! 
it was a long trip, but we're almost there. Homer, did you remember to lock the front door of the house? Don't! Well, it's been two long trips, but we're finally almost there again. When you locked the front door, did you remember to lock the back door? Don't! Don't! <gasps> oh, no! We left Grandpa back at the gas station. What about Grandpa? See monkeys, I ordered a variety. <laughs> Look at them, cavort and keeper. Sir, they're the new winter caretakers for the lodge. Yes, they work hard and they play hard. This house has quite a long and colorful history. It was built on an ancient Indian burial ground and was the setting of satanic rituals, witch burnings, and five John Denver Christmas specials. Oh, John Denver. <laughs> That's odd. Usually the blood gets off at the second floor. Hey, I found a shortcut through a hedge maze. Get away, you little! No, no, go easy on the wee one. His father's gonna go crazy and chop them all into haggis. What's haggis? <gasps> Boy, you read my thoughts. You've got the shining. You mean shining. Shh, you wanna get sued? Now look, boy. Your dad goes gaga. You just use that shin of yours to call me and I'll come a-running. But don't be reading my mind between four and five. That's Willie's time. Yes, by cutting off cable TV and the beer supply, I can ensure an honest winter's work out of those low lights. Sir, did you ever stop to think that maybe it was doing this that caused the previous caretakers to go insane and murder their families? Hmm, perhaps. Tell you what, we come back and everyone's slaughtered, I owe you a Coke. 